भद्रम करणे शृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येमाक्षभर्यजत्रा स्थिरंगयस्तुष्टुवागु सस्तनु व्यशेम देवित यदायु स्वस्ति न इंद्रो वृद्धश्रवा स्वस्ति नूषा विश्वेदा स्वस्ति नस्ताक्ष्यो अरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शातिशातिशा सो वी आर स्टडिंग दि मांडुक्य उपनिषद विद मांडुक्य कारिका उपनिषदिकलिटी that the turiya our real self is non dual there is no second reality apart from the turiya um and the fourth chapter which we are starting now is um primarily concerned with various objections raised by different schools of indian philosophy those which were contemporary with gaudapada at that time about 1400 1500 years ago 1400 years ago so um he has started this chapter the fourth chapter called alata shanti prakarana uh, with the first two verses are actually salutations um oh let me just mention what is housekeeping um so so shashank is our co-host and uh, um he will let people in or oh, some are worried about joining late uh, they have been desperately texting me please let me in when i come uh, but don't worry the co-host is there he'll he or she will keep a, uh, an eye out for people coming in and they, he will keep admitting them so you don't have to worry um the second thing is about questions and comments so as i go through the verses and the explanations you can um, ask questions as they come to your mind just raise your hand and the way you do it is um, uh, go to the bottom of your screen there's something called participants if you click that you will get a an option for raising the hand and uh, if you click that raise hand option next to your picture we will all see a little blue hand so the when i ask for questions um the co-host will unmute you and call out your name so that you can ask the question and we can uh, have a little back and forth also I, i can talk to you you can respond so that's how we will do it we had started the fourth chapter in the fourth chapter the first two verses are salutations namaskara uh, salutation to first one is salutation to god why salutation to god um for the successful completion of our study for uh, being blessed with enlightenment um also because god is regarded as the first guru 
the the uh, Adi Guru, the source of the spiritual tradition. Um, here, Narayana is being saluted. Uh, let me read the verse. Jnane nakasha kalpena dharman yoga ganopaman geya bhinnena sambuddha tam vande dvipadam varam I salute um, the one who is fully enlightened, sambuddha, the one who is the best or the, the, the greatest among two-legged, biped, among those with, with human form. So it's Purushottam Narayana who is supposed to have a human form, uh, who is uh, um, who realizes his own identity with all of us. Dharman Gaganopaman, all of us, he realizes his own identity. He is pure consciousness and he realizes that all of us, all the jivas, all the sentient beings, we are all pure consciousness and he realizes this through pure consciousness. So consciousness realizes its identity, consciousness which is God, realizes its identity with all of us who are consciousness uh, through consciousness and this consciousness is compared to Gagana uh, sky actually the jivas we are compared to sky we who are like the sky unlimited sky who seem to be limited it's actually a reference back to the sky and pot uh, example so the unlimited sky just like that we are unlimited consciousness and uh, what we worship as God is also the same consciousness who is fully aware. We are not aware, we are unenlightened, but God is always eternally enlightened and aware of God's uh, non-difference with us, that we are all one with God. It's one unbroken ocean of consciousness. Um, this verse has given rise to controversy because of the use of the word Sambuddha. I mentioned it last time. So, because Buddhism was very strong at that time, in Gaurapada's time. So, some scholars have said, this is a Buddhist text. Look, he is uh, saluting the Buddha, the word Sambuddha. Sambuddha literally means fully awakened, but it's also applied to the Buddha. And Dvipadamvaram, um, the, the finest or the greatest or the most excellent among those with two legs. Now, it's, it's a way of addressing the Buddha. Uh, when you are saying it is uh, worship of God, you're just being clever, but actually uh, it is a reference to the Buddha. But Narayana, um, you see, if, if you take that interpretation, we will not go into it. It is an endless controversy. But if you take that interpretation, then the rest of the text does not make sense. Um, why, If it is a Buddhist text, then why would the Buddhist be interested in Upanishad? Why would the Buddhist be uh, interested in an uh, eternal, unchanging awareness, which is our real nature, which is something... Um, most Buddhist um, philosophies would not uh, agree with. So, and saluting Narayana does make sense because, uh, uh, you know, actually, when this is traditionally studied in Uttarakhand, in Himalayas, when we would study the Upanishads or the Gita, in Vedanta classes, it would start with a series of chants. And uh, I don't do that here. But let me just read out what the chants are. So if you are in a group of monks studying Vedanta in the Himalayas with, with a teacher, um, you sit there and the class starts with this chant. Om Narayanam Padmabhavam Vasishtam Shaktim Cha Tatputra Parasharam Cha 
व्यासम शुकम गौड़पदम महांत गोविंदयोगींद्रमथ शिष्य श्रीशंकराचार्यमथ्यपद्मकम चिष्य तम तोटक वार्तिकस्मागुरुन सततमस्मी Let me do the whole chant. Shruti Smriti Purananam Alayam Karunalayam Namami Bhagavat Padam Shankaram Loka Shankaram Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Kritau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Puna Ishvaro Guru Ratmeti Murti Bheda Vibhagine व्योम विष्णु who is the source of this advaita tradition so it's a salutation to the guru parampara the the teachers who taught their students and who in turn taught their students and the the teaching has come down to us so narayana god is the first guru and whom did narayana teach it to padma bhavam the uh, brahma who you know the beautiful imagery brahma is born of the navel of uh, vishnu and then Brahma teaches it to the sage Vasishta. Vasishta teaches it to uh, his son Shakti, and then Shakti teaches it to uh, his son Parashara. They are all sages, rishis, and then Parashara teaches it to Vyasa, and Vyasa teaches it to his son Shuka, Shukadeva. So up to this is Rishi Parampara. Um, they are a different class of uh, spiritual masters. Then. next there's a transition to human ordinary spiritual seekers like us who is the first one there's a slight break here from shuka to it goes jump straight to gaudapada the uh, author of this text mandukya karika gaudapada the great gaudapada and then from gaudapada to his disciple govindapada and from his from govindapada to his disciple shankaracharya so all of them we salute and then the next is a salutation of shankaracharya and his disciples shri shankaracharyam and his disciples padmapada acharya hastama hastamalaka acharya totaka acharya and it says vartikakara the one who wrote the vartikas which are commentaries on shankara's commentaries it means sureshwar acharya so vartikakara is sureshwar acharya in the tradition advaita tradition shankaracharya is known as bhashyakara and sureshwar acharya is known as vartikakara bhashyakara the one who composed the commentaries on what on the upanishads brahma sutra bhagavad gita vartikakara vartika is another kind of commentary it's a sub commentary a commentary on a commentary so sureshwar acharya uh, composed those comment sub commentaries on shankaracharya's commentaries um and then is a salutation to shankaracharya who is a master of shruti and smriti and the puranas um i salute shankaracharya i salute uh, badarayana vyasa vyasa wrote the brahma sutras and shankaracharya wrote the bhashya sutra bhashya kritau vande the one who wrote the sutras is vyasa 
the one who wrote the commentary on the sutras is Shankara. I salute both of these lords again and again. Punah, Punah. And then finally, the last one is Ush Ishwara Guru Ratmeti. Three, God, Guru and I myself, the individual being. All three, Murti Bheda Vibhagine, they are three forms of one ultimate reality. That ultimate reality is called Dakshina Murti Shiva or Brahman. We call it Brahman, Saguna Brahman. Saguna Brahman is God, Ishwara, but also appears as my Guru. And also I myself. This is a very beautiful thing. One reality appearing as God, Guru and disciple. I salute. What is this Dakshinamurti like? Vyoma vad vyapta dehaya. All pervading like the sky. So it's consciousness. It brings us back to our space example, Akasha example. So the first verse says that space-like consciousness, which are individual beings, which is also God. God realizes its oneness with them. All this was to point out that um, it is not so strange to suddenly salute Narayana because uh, traditionally all Advaitic uh, classes, all teachings begin with the salutation of Narayana. Then the second verse is also a salutation, salutation to the teaching, to um, Advaita itself, the teaching of Advaita. Second verse. Asparsha yoga vai nama sarva sattva sukhohitaha avivado viruddhascha deshitastam namamyaham. I salute namamyaham. I salute deshita, this teaching, that which has been taught. What has been taught? Asparsha yoga. The yoga which is non contact. Remember when we summarize the third chapter. We said these are certain terms to remember, but um, non-origination, non-duality, non-contact and no mind. So non-contact, asparsha, yoga. Sarva sattva sukho hitaha, sarva sattva sukha, which is the happiness for all beings. Hitaha, which is the welfare of all beings. Avivado, it is beyond any argument, Beyond ar- it, is, it is not in argument with, with anybody. And therefore, aviruddha, non-contradicted by anything. This teaching is not contradicted by anything uh, or does not contradict anything. Deshi, this teaching, deshita, which has been taught, I salute. So this is the meaning of the second verse. It's interesting to see the words which have been used. I will go through them um, little by little. First one, most important, which we have seen in third chapter also, Asparsha Yoga. Asparsha, this is a special word, non-touch or non-contact. This is um, the word favored by Gaudapada. But a more common word used in Vedanta is Asanga, uh, which does not, which is detached, which does not come into contact with anything. Brahman, Atman, Turiya, our real nature, really who we are, has com- is completely Asanga. Uh, it, it has no contact. It does not stick. So you are made of Teflon, eh? non-stick. So nothing sticks to you. All this that appears, people and events and happiness and misery, uh, bodies and lives, they come and go, you are completely unaffected. Why? What is the reason? Is it, why is it called Asparsha or Asanga? What gives it this nature, the self? What makes it non-sticky? 
one way of putting this is simple way would be it's non-dual it is secondless so what would it stick with there is no second reality apart from it to be attached to something to be stuck with something uh, to have a relationship with something there must be at least two if you are non-dual atman or the turiya is non-dual how is the turiya non-dual what is the turiya consciousness which appears as waking dreaming deep sleep but in reality it is pure consciousness now how is it non-dual did you not just say turiya means the fourth if it's number four how can it be without two only after you go to two and three and then you come to four but remember the first three the four the first three are appearances it is not that that there is a, a ring and a bracelet and a necklace and gold gold is not a fourth reality apart from the three ornaments it is the reality of three ornaments now so gold is non-dual with respect to the ornaments though they appear to be three different types of ornaments when you look at it from the gold perspective they are not apart from it they are not a second thing apart from the gold itself difference is in name and form and use nama roopa vyavahara um another way so turiya is non sticky because it's non dual there's no second thing apart from it for with it it can stick it can have a relationship asparsha means no contact no attachment it means um um no no contact no attachment uh, and it means no relationship there's no sambandha no connection or relationship then another way of looking at this no relationship is uh turiya or the atman is paramarthika the ultimate or absolute truth whereas waking dreaming deep sleep everything else the world and all its events whatever is happening is vyavaharika transactional the lower level the 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 relative truth the appearance has no relationship with the reality the first approach was because it's non dual there is no second thing for it to be attached to there is no second thing for it to have a relationship with now i am saying that because turiya is paramarthika absolute reality and all this multiplicity of the universe all living beings all the objects all experiences time space causation they are all at the lower level of reality vyavaharika and the lower level cannot affect the higher level the the appearance cannot affect the reality just as all the water in the desert, in the oasis or in in the mirage all the water of the mirage cannot is not sufficient to wet even one grain of sand in the in the desert the snake which appears by mistake on the rope cannot cannot affect the rope at all all that happens in the dream once we wake up from it we see it has not affected our us at all there's no change in our waking life compared to the because of the dream just as the dream cannot affect your waking similarly the waking cannot affect turiya because they are not at the same level of truth if the same level of reality then only it can affect there's no same level of reality is not there highest level paramarthika turiya next lower level vyavaharika this world waking and next lower level pratibhasika appearance snake in the rope water in the desert or dreams constructs of the mind that is not even as real as the waking and the waking is not as real is not as real as the turiya 
lower level of reality cannot affect the higher level or surface level of reality cannot affect the deeper level. No connection, no effect. Then the next word used is Sarva Sattva Sukhaha. It is happiness for all, uh, for all beings. For all sentience, sattva is a word which is uh, sometimes peculiarly used for the mind. Um, so, it basically means sentient being. We all have those living beings, we have minds. So, for all of us, it is uh, direct happiness. This, turiya, uh, this teaching, this teaching gives happiness directly. Shankaracharya says, some do not give happiness directly. For example, he gives yatha, tapaha, that which tapa means tapasya. Hard spiritual practices, austerities, uh, a very uh, austere, simple life, years of meditation. Now that produces happiness, but in itself it is difficult and tough. It, you go through a lot of struggle to reach that level of peace and happiness. But he says this teaching directly gives happiness to Sarva Sattva, anybody who approaches it. All sentient beings, directly you become happy when you, when you assimilate this teaching. In Hindi they say, Gyan asani se pachta nahi. This teaching is not easily digested. It requires digestion. After this teaching is digested or assimilated, then only it gives happiness. Undigested food only, only no matter how tasty, it always gives stomach trouble only. So the problem with Advaita is it can give unhappiness. Um, but... Uh, it's when it is assimilated, it directly gives happiness to all beings. And then he says, Hitaha, Sarva Hita, it is welfare for all beings. It is always, um, it's a kind of happiness which is always conducive to welfare. And Shankaracharya in his commentary, remember, this is Gaudapada's Karika, and then it's a commentary by Shankaracharya. So, in Shankaracharya's commentary, he says, and that all kinds of happiness always are not conducive to welfare. He says, sense enjoyments, for example, they may be pleasurable and they may give you a burst of happiness, but always it ends in unhappiness. So there are a lot of pleasures which we chase in life, but we generally end in frustration, unhappiness and lack of fulfillment. But this one, it is um, highest welfare, hitaha, sarva hitaha, for everybody it is the highest welfare. Then an important word, Avivada. Vada means discussion, debate. Avivada, beyond debate, beyond controversy. So, Advaita, here is an interesting thing to see. This whole chapter is about controversy, is about debate. Now, Gaudapada's approach to this is interesting. When we study Advaita Vedanta, we see there is a lot of debate going on, lot of reasoning, lot of questions, counter-questions, arguments, counter-arguments. So, Gaudapada's approach is interesting. He, his approach is that uh, we have no quarrel with any philosophy. Rather, these philosophies, the dualistic philosophies, contradict each other. And therefore, because they contradict each other, each position is criticized by the other. One dualist school criticizes the other dualist school, and that one criticizes the first one. So, Gaudapada's point is, he's very skillful that way. They refute each other. I don't have to work hard. You cut each other down, and I'm left as the winner. So in that sense, I have no controversy with anybody. Uh, you contradict each other and therefore, see there are different ways of dealing with an opponent. One is um, you show the fault in the other person's argument and then you present strong reasons to support your, your position. Like a lawyer would argue in court. Deconstruct the 
uh, argument the position of the opposing lawyer and support your own position. That kind of debate is called uh, jalpa. Jalpa means uh, it is a type of debate where swapaksha sthapanam you try to establish your position and parapaksha dushanam and you cut down it is an offensive that you cut down your opponent's position. You defend your position and with arguments and you criticize your opponent's position. That is normally the way debate is done and Shankaracharya does that quite often. There is a another kind of debate which is called vitanda where you, you do not actually uh, advance any independent argument to support your position. You just show that the opponent is wrong. You use the opponent's own position and to show that it is self-contradictory. The opponent's position implodes, it is unsustainable. So whatever the opponents say, all of them, when you show that all of their positions are uh, illogical, without trying to prove your own position, without saying anything at all, you remain as the victor. So that is called vitanda. Um, so in the martial arts, there is one kind of martial art called Aikido, where there is no direct offense. They use the force of the attacker to over to, to you know throw down the attacker or to defeat the attacker. So the force of the attacker is used against the attacker. Now it is some kind of philosophical Aikido. Yeah, somebody said philosophical judo or jujutsu. You use the force of the opponent against the opponent. That is vitanda. Um, Nagarjuna, the great Buddhist Shunyavadi, the famous Vaitandin, uh, one who used this technique. He said, Shunyata Sarva Drishtinam. Drishti means philosophy. All philosophies are empty. And he had a technique to show each philosophy. When you say, he will analyze it and show that you are wrong. Now, what is his philosophy? He will not say. And his opponents getting ex exasperated with him would say that at least this much you have said that sarva shunyata sarva drishtinam, all philosophies are empty. So, that is your, you have said that. So, that then your philosophy is also empty. Whatever your philosophy, it is included in that. Now, Nagarjuna replies to that saying that if I had said something, you could have said that about me that my philosophy is empty. But I am not saying anything. You are the one who is speaking. And I am showing you the defects in your position and I say nothing. So that is vitanda, that is one kind of approach. Among Advaitins, the famous, the one who used this technique was Sri Harsha. There is a book called Khandana Khanda Khadya, which is one of the most difficult Advaitic texts. Gaurapada uses a version of that. He does not deconstruct the opponent's position. No, he goes one step further. He allows them to deconstruct each other. And then he says, I have won. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't even have to show you the inconsistencies or illogicalities in your position. Others have done that and you have done that for others. So all of you are defeated. So that's basically his approach. That's why he says avivada. This teaching does not enter into controversy with any, any others, with any of the other schools who will all come now one, one by one. Um, they are all dualistic schools. Aviruddha, because there is no controversy with anybody, Aviruddha, that means there is no contradiction. This teaching has no contradiction. It is, it is an uncontradicted victor. Now, just one point before we go ahead. This is one way of establishing harmony that we do not directly oppose what you are saying, your, your position. Um, for example, 
I have given, I think I mentioned it earlier, it was many years ago, not so many years ago, about maybe 40 years ago, um, there was a well-known, uh, one of the many debates between the dualists and non-dualists, it was in Bangalore. Um, one great non-dualist, Swami Kashikananda Giri, uh, he was in Mumbai. Uh, he was presented with a challenge from a well-known dualist school of Vedanta, from Madhva school of Vedanta. And uh, all the non-dualists, they implored him because he was one of the leading scholars of non-dualism, Advaita. Please go and represent Advaita. So Advaita, Advaita fight will be there and you represent Advaita. He did that and um, uh, the debate was held over two days, or three, supposed to be held with three days, over three days. What happened was the first session of the debate went well, both sides representing each other's arguments and so on and so forth. But the audience became very heated. Both sides were sitting, dualists and non-dualists. So they started throwing, abusing each other, throwing chairs at each other, and finally it, it collapsed in chaos. So nothing was, nothing came out of it. But this Swami, why, how I heard about it, this Swami later wrote a book, Advaita Vaijayanti Mala, the necklace or garland of victory of Advaita. He took it that I have won. And uh, he said, I wrote numerous letters to the organizers saying, give a decision, who won? I got no response, so I'm taking it that I have won. Anyway, the point of telling you the, all this story is this. In that book, he makes an interesting point that why are the dualists against non-dualism? Everything that you say, the dualists say, we accept. You talk about God, of course we accept God. Or worshipping God, yes. Rituals, yes. All non-dualists perform rituals. Do you go to temple? Yes, we go to temple. What about Ganga Bath? Yes, Ganga Bath is good. All of that we accept. Except that we say all of it is Vavaharika and Mithya. It's an appearance. Immediately that drives the dualists wild. <laughs> this is exactly what we don't like. What do you mean uh, false? What we mean by false, it, it is at the level of Vavaharika Satyam, transactional truth. Paramarthika Satyam is Brahman, the non-dual, the, the Turiya, the Nirguna Brahman, the qualityless, uh, uh, unqualified Brahman. Now, why would you be worried, O oh, dualist, why would you be worried about that? Because in your philosophy, this difference between Paramarthika and Vavaharika, transactional truth and ultimate truth is not there. For you, there is only one truth and that truth we accept. So, I mean, it is still not a satisfactory answer, but it is a very interesting way of putting it. See, at that level, at the Vyavaharika level, we have no contradiction with any of the dualist schools. If you want to worship Vishnu, we are ready. Want to worship Divine Mother, Shakti, we are ready. Want to worship Shiva, we are ready. Why only that? Outside the fold of uh, Vedic Hinduism, whether you want... Uh, uh, Christianity or Judaism or Islam, it's very easy to see all of these as worshipping of Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, in different forms. You may call it Father in Heaven, you may call it Jehovah, you may call it Allah. Clearly, by definition of those same religions, it is Saguna Brahman, the creator God of the universe. And you worship and love. Yes, at the transactional level, we accept all of it so easily. So, this is, a, this is what Gaudapada is saying. This is one kind of way of establishing harmony of religions, one kind. But, as you can see, it's still not, I mean, as a non-dualist, you can do this and you can feel happy and superior. Yeah, we have accepted all of you and we have no contradiction with you. But as a dualist, you would be right if you felt insulted by, by this kind of approach. Because clearly, we are saying 
that all of it is at the level of appearance, all of it is at the level of a dream or of a level of a movie. And the reality is what we non-dualists have. Later on it will be there when he talks about this non-contradictoriness of Advaita, Gaudapada, no contradiction with others. Shankaracharya says, comments there, of course non-dualism, Advaita has no contradiction with anybody else. You see, it's like the non-dualist is sitting on, you are sitting on the elephant of non-dualism and walking down the narrow village path. You know, imagine a Kerala scene and the uh, elephant is walking down and you are on top of the elephant of non-dualism. Now there is a crazy guy standing in front of you on the little narrow village path and shouting, Mam Prati Chalaya, fight, let's have an elephant fight, charge your elephant against my elephant. You don't have an elephant, Baba. What elephant fight will there be? <laughs> See, he's crazy. He doesn't even have an elephant because it's Vyavaharika. The real elephant cannot fight against a dream elephant. So, there is no contradiction between you and me. Now, this is not going to please the dualist. It's, it's, <laughs> it's not a nice thing to say actually. So, but this is the way non-dualists can say there is no contradiction between us and any other philosophy. One. Sri Ramakrishna's approach and Swami Vivekananda's approach is based on this, but it's not like this. It's that, that all the others are also equally effective ways of attaining salvation or moksha. They are different ways. They are devotional ways, faith-based ways. This is the direct reason-based way. But all of them will take you to salvation. It's not that the others are false. So I just wanted to make this point. There is a way of um, non-contradictoriness from a Gaudapada's way and there is the harmony of religions of Sri Ramakrishna which is a different kind which might be more acceptable to everybody else. Alright. Before I go on then let me take a I think there are uh, Shashank are there a couple Prabir of Babu? Yes. Prabir oh. Babu Yes. Oh sorry and my question was this, the Babaharika and Pratihashika was not coined by Gaurapada, right? It was coined by Shankaracharya. Yes. And why did he feel it necessary to do that? Yes. Uh, it is implied. You will see when, uh, when you talk about uh, waking, dreaming and deep sleep being at the appearance level and um, Turiya being the ultimate truth. What are you saying then? you are automatically saying that there are two levels of reality. You cannot deny, even Gaudapada will not deny that you see a waking world, that you experience a dream world. And in a certain way you experience the, the potential world of, um, of deep sleep. What are they then? They are clearly not Advaita, non-dual. Uh, they are clearly subject to change and multiplicity, causality. What are they? So, the only way of seeing that, telling, uh, of dealing with them is to put them at a lower level of reality. And that theory is later developed by Shankaracharya and more especially by the post-Shankaradvaitans. Yes, you are right. So, uh, one, one more thing is that the, when the dualists, when they say that I am, they, their highest position is I am one with God, isn't that a Advaita position? No, it's not. I am one with God uh, will be like I am the wave of which uh, and God is the ocean. The wave is a tiny part of the ocean. You cannot claim that I am God. I feel a oneness with God. Uh, there is one kind of moksha in, in uh, mukti in dualism called sayujya, being one with God. 
But you cannot claim there, thereby that I am God. Because the God um, nature, that means all-powerful, all-knowing, omniscient, can be only one being who is the creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe. There cannot be multiple, and then it, it will not work. And uh, um, the Jiva nature is also maintained, that I am a sentient being uh, who loves God, surrenders to God, and feels a oneness with God. Whereas in Advaita, how is this oneness established? You don't say literally that I am God. I serve a Priyananda, I am God. That's madness, megalomania. That's why uh, dualists will be very angry with non-dualists. They think that you are suggesting that. No. What I mean is, the oneness that I have with God, Sarva Priyananda and Ishwara, is that at that level, Sarva Priyananda is not there as Sarva Priyananda. It is that ground consciousness, Turiya. Ishwara is not there as Ishwara. As Turiya, we are one and the same. What's the use of saying it? The use is this. The Sarva Priyananda is an appearance and the Ishwara's, Ishwaratva is an appearance. The Jiva nature is an appearance. The Ishwara nature is an appearance. In reality, it is one consciousness. Hanuman yeah. um, said, told Rama that you said three stages, Deho Buddhi and all. Correct, the correct. Stage, he was talking about yes. So, Hanuman's thing. Correct. And that is an attitude acceptable to say us, for example, in the Ramakrishna order. Sri Ramakrishna like that. Swami Turiyananda also. What was the, uh, the it's, it's important to quote it now. Hanuman asks Ramachandra, or Ramachandra asks uh, Hanuman, what do you think of me? Ramachandra, who is the avatar, asks Hanuman, what do you think of me? And Hanuman says, Lord, Deha Buddhya Dasoham. When I consider myself to be this body, Hanuman, I am the servant, thou art my master. This is called Dasabhava, the attitude of the servant to the Lord. And that's how we normally think of Hanuman. Then he says, Jiva Buddhya Tattvadangshaka. As a sentient being, where what is called um, Dharma here or uh, Sattva here, as a sentient being, I am a part of you. You are the whole of which I am a part. Atma Buddhya Tuttvamevaham Itime Nishchitamati. As Atman, as pure consciousness, you and I are one. one. You are also pure consciousness, I am also pure consciousness. Not two different pure consciousnesses, there is only one. There is no plurality in consciousness. We are that one reality. Appearing as Rama, appearing as Hanuman. Iti me nishchitamati. This is my firm conviction. Which is my firm conviction? From the perspective of the body, this particular life, I am the servant, thou art my Lord. From the perspective of the sentient being, who is now Hanuman, who has been in other births earlier, which will go on later on, and two other births maybe, though Hanuman became uh, Amara in that way, so he does not go on to further births. But anyway, from that perspective, you are the total. I am your part. I am like a wave in this ocean, which you are. I am like a ray from the sun, which you are. Or Upanishadic example, as from a blazing bonfire, thousands of sparks emanate. You are the fire, I am a spark from you. So that's the second one, as a sentient being, as, as this sukshma sharira, subtle body which goes from birth to birth. And third, as pure consciousness, we are one. All of these, you see, first one is Dvaita, duality. Second one is Vishishta Dvaita, part and whole. Third one is Advaita, which is, which is true. Hanuman says, I am convinced of, of this. 
So from these different perspectives, all are true. So this is the uh, this is Hanuman's approach, and Sri Ramakrishna like this, and uh, Turiyanandaji in one place. But this it's interest instructive. What would a traditional hardcore Gaudapada type of Advaitin say to this? And Turiyanandaji Maharaj actually had. Can you hear me, everybody? Yes. Yes. So suddenly my thing said that your connection is unstable, but it seems to be okay. Turiyanandaji actually met uh, um, one Swami who is to, oh, very, very staunch non-dualist, who is to come to meet Turiyanandaji in, in Banaras, when Turiyanandaji was there in his old age. And we are talking about non-duality and that Swami was saying that Advaita alone is true. This Dvaita is not, ultimately it's not true, it's at the appearance level only. Which exactly what Godapada is trying to say. It's at the appearance level. We have no contradiction. Means it's it seems to be giving a lot of honor and prestige to you. I have no contradiction with you. But actually it's a little demeaning and insulting. Because you don't exist actually. So how can I have any contradiction with you? Uh, you are a dream. Now, Turiyanandaji quoted the Hanuman. From the body, I am the servant. Body perspective, servant. From a jiva perspective, part of you and from consciousness perspective, Atma perspective, we are one. And this is the meaning of Advaita. That Swami said, ah, but that's not the meaning. You are misinterpreting. Notice, he said, Hanuman said, as, the, from the body, as a body, I am thy servant. As a Sukhshmashari, a jiva, I am part of you. But, there is a two, but, but as the Atman, I and you are one. What is the meaning of that but? These two are false perspectives. Body perspective, of course, is false perspective. Sukshma Sharira perspective is also false perspective. The truth is, I am Turiya. So, the truth is, I and you are one. And that is the meaning of what about Hanuman was trying to say. Then, uh, Turiyanandaji burst out laughing. And he said, You understand it in your own way. <laughs> yeah, is someone saying that my screen is freezing, but now it should be alright. Earlier, there was a warning that connection is unstable, but now it seems to be all right. But there are other questions? Yes, there is a question from Ramya Krishnamurti. Yes. Uh, Prana Swamiji, uh, am I audible? Yes. Uh, Swamiji, I have difficulty understanding, uh, or I would rather say reconciling the concept of Yavaharika with respect to Avatara. I mean, we, all the rest of us can be dismissed as inconsequential, not real, just an appearance. But avatara, which kind of bridges the gap between this side and the other, the Paramarthika and Yavaharika. How, oh. how does Gaudapada dismiss that? Gaudapada does not. And you'll notice that the avatara concept has not been introduced at all here. It's, it's not part of this paradigm at all. Um, now, notice... Gaurapada at no point is dismissing ourselves or anybody else as inconsequential. Not at all. Gaurapada is actually saying you are the ultimate reality. Advaita does not dismiss your existence. Advaita gives you the highest existence. Advaita just says you are deeply mistaken about who or what you think you are. This personality, this Ramya personality is an appearance. The reality about you is that you are Turiya. You are an infinite immortal consciousness. This is what Gaudapada is pushing you towards. Now, if you introduce Advaita, uh, Avatara, which Gaudapada has not introduced, but if you do introduce Avatara, Gaudapada will say, what do you mean by the Avatara? If you mean the body of the Avatara, 
If you mean that particular personality of the avatar, that's definitely an appearance. But if you mean what the avatar is in reality, avatar is Turiya. Uh, that's what he was... Is, Shank- yeah. So Shankaracharya himself said Bajagavantam. So, mm. And he was referring to Krishna avatar. Yes. I mean, at least an avatar vada was there. Yes, certainly. So uh, the way Advaitins will deal with it, you can yourself answer. Um, we have no contradiction with any of these philosophies. Now... Will you have devotion to Krishna if somebody asks? A Vaishnava comes and asks an Advaitin. What will an Advaitin answer? Of course. Why not? It, an Advaitin will say, it is of great help for me to attain my Advaita Jnana also. Bhakti to God is most helpful. Only thing is, then what distinguishes the Bhakta from an Advaitin? The only thing is Advaitin puts Bhakti at a lower level. Bhakti will say, is useful to attain Jnana. Where the Bhakta will say, I am not using bhakti to attain jnana. Bhakti for me is the ultimate. Uh, I have love for God and God will take care of me. That is the dualistic mindset. That's what um, Godapada is criticizing here. So you have to be ready for a little, a, a little harshness here because this is the highest Advaita, very radical non-dualism, you see. Yes. They do not value visions and such things that a sadhaka would probably experience in their journey. Right. They would value it. Would they consider it the ultimate truth? No. And we also should not. Anything that comes and goes is not the ultimate truth. Anitya. Does the vision come and go? Yes. Um, Anything that's an object, I am experiencing this. Drishya, that's also part of the appearance, Mithya Jagat. So is the vision something that you see? Yes. So all of these, uh, you know, the markers of unreality are there, in, even in spiritual experiences. But then why, should, why are they valuable? Why would an Advaitin consider them valuable? Because they are far better than the vision of the world which we are having now. The vision of, right now also you are having a vision. You are seeing this world. This is also an appearance. But this traps you in samsara. Whereas the vision of God, it leads you away from samsara towards moksha. Advaitin will admit that. But Advaitin will say that's not the ultimate. Ultimately, it is this realization that I am the Turian. Yeah. And Bhakti is helpful there. That much, even Gaudapada, he never says it. But uh, he, he will admit, Shankaracharya at least will admit it is most helpful. Okay. So they admit different levels of reality. Absolutely, different levels of reality. You admit it. You will say, it's how strange, different levels, what does it mean? But you admit different levels of reality. You are... Um, you are calling from India. So it must be very early. What's the time there now? It's 5.50. Yes, so it's very early in the morning. Just a little while ago you were sleeping and dreaming. Now all the things that happened in the dream, all the, if, if you happen to remember them, how will you treat that? Oh, that was a dream. Dream level of reality and waking level of reality, we automatically make a distinction. We immediately dismiss the dream upon waking up. And we can compare the two. We make a distinction between uh, mirage water and real water. Both you have seen, but you make a distinction. You make a distinction between the false snake and the uh, real rope. You are making a distinction. Even the snake you might have seen by mistake. You make a distinction between a movie uh, and um, what is going on in the movie and what is there in the cinema hall. There are two levels of reality. So multiple levels of reality we are very much used to. That is what... 
uh, Gaudapada is saying, take it one step further. This one which we consider as real, this is also like a movie compared to the pure consciousness which you are. Now, only when you realize, only when you wake up does the dream become a dream for you. Only when we become real, we realize that I am the Turiyam, I am Atma Brahman, then this waking world can also be, I won't say dismissed, can also be characterized or identified as an appearance. When you're in the midst of it, it's very difficult to say this is un unreal. We'll make all sorts of mistakes. If you try to do that, we'll say this is unreal, unconsciously keeping this body as real. That is not true. Or this is unreal, including the body, but keeping the mind as real. The mind which is dismissing everything as unreal, that is also not true. All right. Thank you, sir. Lot of questions. Actually, this fourth chapter is also full of questions. When you say such things, many people have questions. That's why this fourth chapter has been <laughs> written. Can we take one more question? Yes. Abhijit Champanekar. Abhijit. Namaste, Maharaj. My question is about the harmony of religion. So you, you made the point that uh, the, the Gaudapada's arguments give a non-contractiveness to yes. However, the harmony of religions of Sri Ramakrishna goes further yes. and accepts the absoluteness in some sense of other philosophies and other religions. Yes. Now, is there a, uh, is there a philosophical framework in which uh, this harmony of religions of Sri Ramakrishna can be uh, established or proved like Gaudapada proves it using... Yeah, that is a good question and that's exactly what Ayan Maharaj, you have, heard, you, you, you have met Ayan Maharaj, that's what he's working on. See, if Sri Ramakrishna's approach to the harmony of religions is so much superior, so straight away take, up, take that up. But the problem there is, Gaudapada's approach or Shankara's approach can be justified, argued out to the minutest detail and defended against attackers because it's very logically consistent. At every point you can defend it and you will see the reasonableness of it, even if you don't agree with it. I mean, there are a lot of people who will not agree, who, will, who have got their questions who are going to come now in this chapter. But now Sri Ramakrishna's approach is very fulfilling, it's very uh, wholesome uh, and it's, it's really useful for the harmony of religion, especially in our world today. But a lot of questions can be raised about it. So teachings of religions have contradictory, opposite teachings are there. Dualism, non-dualism. If you say both are correct, the Gaudapada can say both are correct. Why? Because it, he puts dualism as an appearance and non-dualism as the reality. Reality and appearance can go together. But two opposite realities cannot go together. You can't say that dualism is as real as non-dualism. Um, so do you see, that is the problem. Then how will you reconcile it from Sri Ramakrishna's perspective? So that is what Ayan Maharaj is working on. It is a new approach. If you ask me, I am fully convinced of Sri Ramakrishna's approach. Uh, it just you need to give it a philosophical framework. Just one clue. You can do it in this way. Sri Ramakrishna himself has given the clue. You can treat these as paths. If you take up a framework, a dualistic framework, will it take you to enlightenment and God-realization? Yes. If you take up this non-dualistic framework, Will it take you to enlightenment and God? And what is the proof? The proof is you will go beyond suffering with the claim here, sarva, sarva sattva sukhaha hitaha, your welfare is accomplished, you overcome suffering. If those things are fulfilled, then you will say this is true, it works. 
that works, this works. Both are true. They may not be philosophically compatible. So that's one clue. Um, so Sri Ramakrishna, notice, he treats it as different paths. These are different ways of attaining uh, God realization. Gaurapada, interestingly, later on he will say that uh, dualism and non-dualism, some like dualism, some like non-duality. I must admit the truth is beyond both. See, Gaurapada says that. This is very interesting because he has been teaching non-dualism all throughout. Then suddenly in a verse he will say, Dvaitam Ichanti, Advaitam Ichanti, no, Dvaitam Ichanti Chapare, Dvaita Advaita Vivarjita Tattvam. Some prefer duality, some prefer non-duality, but the truth is beyond duality and non-duality. Now, what is beyond duality and non-duality? Logically, you cannot say, but he admits it. Uh, so, yeah. Thank you. Namaskar. Hold on to the questions, don't forget it. Let me do one more verse at least and then we will come back. Now the opponents will come forward. Number three. And remember, Gaudapada's strategy will be what? He will not attack the opponents. He will show their mutual contradiction and he will claim victory. See, number three. Bhutasya jati michanti vadina kechi devahi Abhutasya pare dhira vivadantaf parasparam. Some, some um, claim that a pre existing entity comes into being. Others claim that uh, something that was not pre existing has now come into being and they mutually contradict each other. These wise ones, dhiraha, these wise ones mutually contradict each other. What does it mean? The issue here is Gaudapada's startling claim that the universe has not been produced. The universe has not been born. Nothing is produced. And there is only one unchangeable consciousness, this Durya. Now this is, it seems completely contradictory to our experience. Our experience is, put in philosophical language, um, there is a cause and there is an effect. Cause is the, that from which the effect comes. The cause produces the effect. The effect is born from the cause. So the example is clay is there and from clay a pot is created. Now in Indian philosophy there are different theories of causality. Different schools have different theories of causality. Here the two major positions are taken up. One position is the position uh, of um, what is called Satkaryavada. The Sanskrit terms are Karanam means cause. Karyam means effect. Karanam, clay. Pot is Karyam. Pot is the effect and clay is the cause. Clay is Karanam, pot is or ghata is Karyam. Now what is the relationship between the two? From the Karanam, the Karyam has come. That is everybody uh, admits it. And the relationship, according to one school, the pot actually pre-existed in the clay in a potential form. After all, it is the clay alone which was changed into the pot. So the pot pre-existed, what was pre-existing in the cause, the karyam pot was pre-existing in the karanam clay. And now it has been manifested, it has been produced from the clay. 
This is one perspective. It is called Sat Karya Vada. Karya means effect, Sat existing, effect pre-existing, before production, pre-existing in some potential form. And it is not as silly or as strange as it sounds. It is actually a pretty modern concept. In one sense you see the tree is pre-existing in the seed. Now we understand genetics, we understand DNA. The entire information for the body, for the tree was pre-existing in the seed form. Um, and that only manifests. So, satkarya, pre-existing effect manifests, that is causality. Cause becomes effect means pre-existing effect in the cause manifests as the effect. That is one position. Whose position? Sankhya, Sankhya philosophy. Uh, very powerful position. And today's when you think about DNA and coming and how the body is produced according to pre-existing information, um, it becomes very, very logical actually. Um, so the universe is pre-existing in its cause, Brahman or God or whatever you call it, and then it is produced, it is manifested. The opposite position is Asat Karyavada. The product, the effect is new. It did not pre-exist in the cause. So the pot is a new creation. Yes, clay has been made, used to make the pot, but the pot did not in any uh, reasonable way existed in the clay. And there are lot of arguments for and against. These are ancient philosophies. Nyaya, uh, Nyaya Vaisheshika, which is Asat Karyavada, Sankhya, Yoga, these all existed even during the time of Buddha. In fact, in Buddha's life, there, there he goes in, before he became the Buddha, he went in search of different teachers. And uh, two of the teachers whom he mentions by name, and he, when he mentions their teachings, they are very clearly Sankhyan teachings and Patanjali yoga teachings. Maybe the system had not been formulated by that time, but the teachings are the same. So these are very ancient philo philosophies, and they have been fighting against each other for centuries, for millennia. Um, so one is Satkaryavada. Pot exists in a potential form in the clay and then is produced. Another one is Asatkaryavada. What did not exist, that pot did not exist actually earlier and has been newly produced now. These are the two, two um, opposing camps. Bhutasya jati michanti. Bhuta means pre existing. Pre existing thing is born, say some vadinaha, kechit, some, some um, philosophers who sankhyan. And abhutasya aparedhira, other wise ones say that non-existing thing, that not, not pre-existing effect is now created. So these are the, and you will, there are many, many arguments for and against. Um, the satkaryavadi, pre-existing, sankhyan, he, say, he will say that, of course, the pot has to exist in some form in the, in the clay. See, the milk which the uh, which produces the curds or yogurt the yogurt or the curds was there in a potential form in the milk uh, otherwise you will not find uh, uh, you, you, the classic example is uh, mustard seeds and if you grind them it produces the mustard oil if you grind sand it will not produce mustard oil so that means there was something special in that mustard seed which you grind then you you produce the oil there is something special in the milk from which due to certain processes curd is produced it will not be produced from sawdust. So, um, there is something unique in the cause which becomes the effect. 
you cannot deny that. The other group will say, Asad Karyavadi will say that, no, how silly, pot was existing in the clay, then why make a pot at all? If it's already there, store water in the clay, it will not work. Why are you calling it pot? Why are you calling it clay? Why not call the clay pot? So, it in no reasonable sense was the pot pre-existing in the clay, then the production would have no meaning at all. Why would a baby be born? Why would a plant sprout? Um, so, there is something that really happens new. Uh, you cannot say that it was already there. And then the argument goes on. Very subtle arguments are there. What does he say? Gaudapada, Parasparam Vivadanta, they dispute with each other. But we do not dispute with them. We do, what do we do? We are very skillful. We wait. What will happen? They will refute each other. The next verse, number 4, I will do that and end. Bhutam na jayate kinchit, abhutam naiva jayate, vivadanto dvayahevam, ajatim khyapayantite. <laughs> this is the skill of Gaudapada. He says, what have they accomplished? They have only accomplished ajatavada, what we want to say. How? Says, when the Nyaya Vaisheshika school, both Nyaya and Vaisheshika, they hold on to Asatkaryavada. When they say, Bhutam na jayate kinchit, pre-existing part is not born in the clay. Pre-existing part is not born. And the opponent, so, so when they are fighting with each other, the Sankhyan is saying that the pot pre-existed in the clay. The Nyaya will say, no, it did not pre-exist in the clay. What is born is not a pre-existing pot. When the Sankhyan attacks the Nyaya Vaisheshika, they will say that you are saying that it is something new, it did not exist earlier. Abhutam Jayate. No, it is not that something randomly came up. Something was there potentially in the clay. So, there is something potentially in the DNA, something potentially in the seed, which is now born as the plant. So, non-existing thing does not come into being, says the Sankhya to the Nyayaka. And the Nyayaka with many arguments says an existing thing does not come into being. Now, there are only two ways. Either an existing thing is produced or a non-existing thing is produced. If existing thing is not produced, non-existing thing is not produced, strong arguments are there on both sides. We say there is no production at all. That is the most logical point and that is what we have been saying all along. That ajatim, without it, there is no production at all. One philosopher put it very nicely, one pandit. He's, at this point, he suddenly referred to Bhagavad Gita. Senayor ubhayor madhye ratham O Krishna, Arjuna says to Krishna, take my chariot and put it between the two, two great armies, Satkaryavada and Asatkaryavada. In the middle of them, I come and say, look, you have refuted these people, these people have refuted you. What's the only logical outcome? Nothing has been produced. There is no production at all. And that's what we are saying. Ajatim khyapayanti. You are advertising khyapayanti. You are advertising my philosophy. Ajatavada unintended consequence of your fight. You didn't intend it, but what, you have, what is the result is, the logical consequence is that there is no production at all. Production, causality, illogical. Causality is illogical. It does not work. So, we will stop there.
take a couple of questions. I think two people still have hands raised. Shashank? Yes. Poonam ji? Yeah. Pranam Swami ji. Namaskar. Uh, Swami ji, I just wanted to know like theory of evolution as advised by, for example, Sri Aurobindo is also at Vyavaharic level. Yes. It is at Vyavaharika level. Um, so, um, Shankara, Gaudapada. See, for example, from Shankara's perspective, they will admit everything. Yes, evolution is there and that is at a Vyavaharika level. Yoga philosophy actually talks about evolution. Bodies of living beings developed by the evolution of Prakriti. Very interesting. It's almost ex very Darwinian. Nature develops uh, and that is that is seen in the bodies of living creatures. And the, of course the souls uh, inhabit by turn more and more advanced bodies. So you upgrade your computer, a better and better and better computer. So that is an evolution in computer. But you are not evolving with that. You are the witness of the evolving computer. More of your capacities manifest in a better computer. Similarly, more of the potential of the Atman is manifest in better and better bodies. Um, Swami Vivekananda put it this way. Evolution of nature, manifestation of the absolute. Brahman is more and more manifest in nature. Non-living things is just existence. Stones, rocks, planets. Then living beings, prana comes into being. Life. Then mind comes into being. Then intelligence comes into being. Love comes into being. So all of these manifestations, they are all in nature. But they are reflections of Brahman. They are reflection of the Sat nature. Chit nature, Ananda nature. Sat nature, things exist. Chit nature, not only they exist, there is mind and thought and understanding. Ananda nature, there is not only existence and awareness, but also love and joy and fulfillment. Still in nature, but they are reflections of, the, of, uh, of Brahman. Evolution of nature, manifestation of Brahman. Brahman is not evolving. Another example Swami Vivekananda gave was, there is um, um, the sun and the closer and closer you go and they take pictures of the sun, you are getting a more accurate, a more glorious blazing picture. Not that the sun is changing, the picture is changing because our perspective is changing. The change of perspective is given by evolution of nature. Monier Williams, who translated, who made the first Sanskrit-English dictionary, Sir Monier Williams, he has given a comment. Um, he was one of the early British Indologists. He has given a comment that these ancient Hindus were Darwinists a thousand years before Darwin. <laughs> uh, so, in one sense, evolution is accepted. Of course, not the details of Darwinian evolution, which has been worked out recently in biology. But in one sense, it is perfectly acceptable. Look at the Dashavatara, for example. The bodies of God, they move from... Uh, fish to tortoise to half animal, half human being and so and so forth, it, it moves. So kind of evolution was accepted. Only Gaudapada or Shankara would dismiss it or not dismiss it, would relegate it to Vyavaharika level. Turiya does not evolve. One more question. Sangeeta. Pranamarich. Uh, question is referring to this often quoted example. About Sangeeta is formless. <laughs> <laughs> yes, guys, go on. Huh. About uh, the three levels of reality, uh, talk with you know, 
man so uh, there is the deha level where you say that you and i are different and there is jiva level in which you say i am a part of you hmm. that's how man says now when it comes to the atma level if we say or rather if i give this we are what it your your voice is your voice is breaking up your voice can you repeat that again uh, at the atman level repeat that again yeah just a minute uh, at the level of the atman when the answer given is we are one would it be more accurate to say there is one rather than saying we are one because minute you say we it is referring back to you know uh, something which does not stay when you go to that level where there is one correct yes and no the danger of saying that i am one with god is the emphasis becomes if the emphasis is on the personality i this person am one with god it's wrong that's not what advaita wants to say so wouldn't it be as sangeeta said wouldn't it be better to say there is one one reality alone exists it's not me or god i am not i there god is also not god there but that also is not acceptable why because then what happens to me it distances it uh, that reality from you what advaita the, the the core teaching of advaita is aham brahmasmi tatvamasi that thou art so that one which exists there no doubt that is only one which exists which is not a jeeva not even ishwara but that one is actually your real nature that's what advaita wants to stress this is what uh, has to be grasped it is not so difficult to say that ultimately there is one reality and keep me out of it i don't want to be involved in all those things no it is your reality you are that one one thing but only you properly understood at yourself the danger is to keep the body mind that's why before that a good washing is necessary of waker dreamer deep sleeper it is not that the waker the vishwa is the entire reality it's not that the dreamer is the entire reality not even the deep sleeper it is the turiya which is the reality and that turiya is i the real i and that that is that is important to retain you should not let go of that if you let go of it then the you will not be helped there is an ultimate reality which is beyond birth and death which is pure existence consciousness bliss very good what is it to me so you are that reality that has to be realized and that will give you moksha all right swami ji there is also a question on the chat yes um yes so rama is asking isn't godfather just being clever uh, one philosophy negating another is still not proof of godfather's uh, advaitic perspective is there any value in this note that this is the fourth chapter he has already given arguments for the falsity of the world second chapter he has already given arguments independent arguments for the non duality of brahman third chapter now what remains is objections from other philosophers from the different schools multiple schools of thought now it's up to you how will you deal with these objections uh, typical approach is shankaracharya's approach who will take up the objections each school one by one subject each school to a scrutiny 
uh, first of all Shankaracharya will answer the questions of those schools against Advaita and try to defend Advaita and then Shankaracharya will go on an offensive. He will attack those schools and show that they are, there, is, uh, there are logical problems with those schools themselves. So that's the one approach. The second approach which I mentioned was, don't say anything at all about your, your school. Point out the logical difficulties in that opponent school. Your own house is not in order. What, what, what are you asking about me? So that is the Vaitanda approach, Vitanda. Gaudapada's approach is a variation of that Vitanda, which I said in the beginning. Um, is it useful? Yes, if you have a good knowledge of Indian philosophy, you will begin to see his point. If you actually take up, which one will I select? Uh, Satkaryavada or Asatkaryavada? You will find neither is, I mean, there are, it becomes a question of preference then. Neither is logically stronger. Both have difficulties, both have strong points against each other. They mutually do contradict and self-destruct. Um, but then, is it enough? Isn't there any independent uh, approach to it? Some, what is the implication for Advaita? That will come in the next verse. Gaudapada will not leave it here. This will go on for a long time. What he will say is, they mutually contradict each other. We don't have to criticize them. They criticize each other and self-destruct. Then he will give, in the next verse, which I have not touched, uh, the fifth verse will come. Fifth verse or fourth? Uh, fifth verse. Fifth verse will come, where he will say that, what is their big problem? Why are they getting into these contradictions? Now he will take the Advaitic perspective. He will bring it out. From fifth, uh, I think, um, sixth, seventh and eighth verses. He will bring out the Advaitic perspective. And he will say, what is the big problem with the dualistic schools? And he will show, the big problem is causality itself. Their idea of causality, one Brahman is producing a separate world either from within itself or separately. This idea itself is wrong. Uh, I had mentioned it earlier in the, when we were doing the third chapter. See, when you say clay produced pot, first you have a pot. Then the idea of clay is introduced to us. You see, this pot which you are holding is an effect, karyam. Okay? It has a cause, karanam. Okay? What is the cause? Clay. So clay is the cause and pot is the effect. And there is a the reason for doing this because the cause is usually superior to the effect. How? Cause with respect to the effect is immortal. God is immortal with respect to the world. What is immortality and what is mortality? The same clay, from it the pot was born. So birth is there for the pot but not for the clay. And then it exists where? In the clay. And it... Finally, when the pot is destroyed, what remains? The clay remains. So, clay immortal, pot is mortal. Clay relatively, nityam, pot is anityam. So, cause is more powerful than the effect, no doubt. That's why cause and effect talk is there. Ishwara is cause, world is effect. But, in doing this, a serious problem has been introduced. Uh, we begin to feel there is a cause, ca there is a cause called clay and there is an effect called um, part. And then what are, how are the two related? Forgetting they are not two. How are the two related? Did one produce the part from inside, a pre-existing part? Or is the part a new thing which has been produced? When you stop at that cause-effect level, there is clay and part. And this, uh, what is his name? Um, 
Alan Watts. He calls it the crackpot theory. The crackpot. <laughs> you have to go one step further and to see that the, what you call the cause and what you call the effect uh, is that one same reality, uh, which is neither cause nor effect. That we did earlier in Aparokshanabhuti towards the end it was there. So next it will come. Gaudapada will show this whole concept of causality, God creating a universe and God creating us, the jivas, is not true. Not ultimately true. Yeah, ultimately, Turiya is not created into the universe. Turiya is never becomes the jiva also. Remember the two examples which he used in third chapter. The two examples were pot and space example. When there is a pot, is the pot space created along with the pot? No. Space is never really divided. Not that if you make a hundred pots, there will be a hundred little spaces. No, it looks like that. But actually it is still one. Space is never divided. So Gita says, Avibhaktam chabhuteshu vibhaktam ivachasthitam. Undivided in all beings, it appears to be divided. So the Turiya is never really divided into jivas. And remember the second example, dream example. It's about creation of the world. Whatever you saw in the dream, after waking up you realize none of that was ever there. I imagined it in the mind. All that sky and birds and trees and people, all of those were just appearances which are part of my dream. Only the dreaming mind was real. Similarly, Gaudapada says, in Turiya, all of this appears, not that they are really produced by Turiya, not that Turiya is a cause and these are effects. So, cause and effect, causality itself is abandoned by Gaudapada. So, this is, uh, this is what he is pushing towards. So, yes. One more question, I think. Question from Devanik Chaudhary. Yeah. Hello, Maharaj. Namaskar. Maharaj, uh, there has been many discussions regarding like Sri Ramakrishna's approach to this, but isn't he on record saying in, in Bengal he said like Advaita Gyan ke kuchhori mein the jata ichha Like, isn't that his? Yes, uh, his saying was Advaita Gyan achole bade jaichhe tai karo. Tying the knowledge of Advaita to the hem of your cloth, then do whatever you like. Yeah, so he has said that. Definitely. So isn't that uh, like his uh, like mark of uh, approval on Advaita as being the... Does he have a mark of approval on Advaita? Obviously. Always. Certainly he has. But not in the sense that he is not um, you know, making bhakti inferior. If a devotee comes and asks, he would say, he has said, in, uh, it is on record in uh, the gospel, aim of human life, bhakti labkara jivanirudyashu. Attainment of devotion to God is the purpose of human life. Now, how will you reconcile these two? And Sri Ramakrishna says, you don't have to reconcile. Your Google Maps can give you alternative routes to, um, say, Manhattan, uh, when you're coming from New Jersey or somewhere. And uh, you say, how will you reconcile? Don't. Both are, they, all those routes are valid. Depending on where you are, one may be better for you. Depending on your mental makeup, your proclivities, one approach may suit you. What Gaurapada is doing is, he is cutting down the others and establishing Advaita. That was the style of uh, philosophizing in those days. Yeah. All right. This is a productive session. Um, so, yeah. So, we will take it up next time. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat 
ಶ್ರೀರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣಾರ್ಪಣಮಸ್ತು